0: Thank you for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And I'd say welcome to the first day of spring. But, you know, our friends up in the northeast are about to get hit, I think, with the fourth nor'easter they've had in the last month, uh, which is set to dump about another foot of snow on cities like Philadelphia New York and Boston. And I hate it. For you folks. My co host on the football side on our show Thursday Night Tailgate, Bob Lazzari, he's up there in eastern Connecticut, and I know he's sick of digging out from under a foot of snow about every few days. We're not getting anything like that down here in Atlanta. Our temperatures are going to plunge down to around 30 degrees for the next few nights. No snow, of course, but, you know, winter always seems to do this to us this time of year. Just when you think it's time to go out and plant those spring flowers, winter makes one last charge and, you know, makes us hold off until, you know, after April. So I, I hope it actually starts to feel like spring for so many of you out there very, very soon. And like I mentioned last week here on the show, countdown is on, right? Countdown to the Masters. We got 13 days until my son and I are going to be walking those uh, sacred grounds for the Monday practice round. One of my favorite days of the entire year. Please, God, no rain, right? We had rain last year. Again, it kind of ended our day very early so uh you know we're praying keep the rain away from us you know for that whole week really because i know so many of you it, it's you know like it was for me you know way back i've been going i've been blessed to go every year since 2001 and it uh it's like it's a bucket list right for so many of us to get to go out there and see augusta national firsthand and you know people are buying and selling tickets you know and you spend a lot of money for that for that sort of thing to get your day i know my good friend matthew lawrence is going to be able to go out for the first time and see Augusta National. He's going to be there Wednesday for the par three with his twin brother, Mitchell. So, you know, and I certainly don't want, you know, Matt's day to get ruined by the rain either. And like I say, for any of you that get the opportunity to go and see the masters firsthand, you know, so no rain, please, no rain for that whole week for all of us, you know, so, you know, prayers to God for that. Um, Tonight here on next on the tee, I'm so excited. You know about the guests that I'm going to have. I'm going to tell you about them in a minute because I, first I want to give a shout out to the aforementioned Matthew and Mitchell Lawrence. Be sure to check out Matt's show Backspin Golf, which airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's my regular Sunday 8.03 tee time. Now, it's broadcast on ESPN Radio AM 1300 on WLXG up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it by going online to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. Matthew also hosts a drive-time show from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern time that blows away any drive-time show in the country. I listen daily on my drive home here in Atlanta. Again, download the WLXG app. I tune in on my smartphone. You can do the same. His four-minute older twin brother, Mitch, also does a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find on GolfNewsNet.com or over on Audio Boom. He and his partner Darren Bunch travel all over the world, and they let you know about the great places you can play golf, stay, and eat while you're there traveling. It's a fantastic show. Again, Talking Golf Getaways available on GolfNewsNet.com and over on Audio Boom as well. And like I say, very excited about tonight's next on the T Show. Three more great guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you, including two of my favorite players from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and out on the Champions Tour. First up, I'm going to get a return visit from four-time winner on tour Donnie Hammond. Donnie won the 1986 Bob Hope Classic. We know that tournament today as the Career Builder Challenge. He beat a who's who list of PGA Tour greats in that tournament. We'll talk about that. Uh, We'll also get his thoughts, like I say, with the Masters coming up and uh, get his memories from being out there and playing at Augusta National. also want to get Donnie's opinion of bifurcation, right? Should should the tour have its own set of golf balls, if you will, or regulations, you know, around what that golf ball should do and, you know, dialing it back and while the rest of us continue to play with what's available to us, you know, out on the market. Uh, So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more when Donnie joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from another great player out on the Champions Tour, and that's Olin Brown. Olin is playing very well this year. Had a tie for fifth a couple of weeks ago. Also want to get his thoughts on the golf ball issue and his memories as well being out at Augusta National. But also want to talk about Olin, his win at the 1998 Hartford Open by chipping in from 40 feet off the green to beat Larry Mize. Right. How ironic. Right. A chip in to beat Larry Myers, who won that way when he won his uh, 1987 Masters. So we'll talk about that with Owen when he joins me about a half an hour from now. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from Eric Meeks. Eric won the 1988 U.S. Amateur in dominating fashion. He won seven and six over Danny Yates, a guy who he would team later with at the World Amateur Championships over in Sweden and on the 1989 Walker Cup team as well plus his experiences uh, playing at the 1989 Masters and uh, so much more to get into with Eric. He's had a, a wonderful amateur career. So looking forward to catching up with Eric uh, a little bit later on in this hour. So, folks, more great stories coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tea. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me here over the next hour. And as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondinero about what they have going on up there this spring.
1: Play Legendary
2: Golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more.
1: Play Legendary Golf this season at French Lick Resort.
0: Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it really is and to book your stay as well. And, folks, have you heard me talking about Clubhub sensors over the last several months? It's the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there on the market. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Club Hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the Club Hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole on the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. And no other GPS tool in the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, angle of attack, plus a 3D view of your swing as well. And again, no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Clubhub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. We're also excited to be partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. They are back with the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markup that you hate. You can now buy premium Ben Hogan irons, Wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags directly from the factory that, uh, that your wallet is really going to appreciate. Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com or give them a call at 844-53-HOGAN. That's 844-534-6426 to learn more and order your set today. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. Their spring collection has arrived The Shift in Seasons is an opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They've added some great details, fresh colors, new additions with genuine, enduring character. They make style easy for you. You can find coordinated outfits in a variety of colors and options by going online and seeing them at bobbyjones.com. And folks, as you know, we've been partnering with Russ Holden and the great folks over at Caddy for a Cure for a while now. And one of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fanconi Anemia. You're going to get to walk side by side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, including Under Armour logoed apparel and an eyewear package, a tour-grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a 10-cup ball marking gift, chef's cut real jerky, and professional photographs from your day. they got a spot open right now to Caddy for Bryson DeChambeau over at the Hilton Head uh, Tournament right after the Masters. So go online to caddyforacure.com. That's C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R. A-C-U-R-E, caddyforacure.com, to learn more. All right, now back in making his sixth appearance with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Donnie Hammond. Let me remind you a little bit about Donnie's background. He is from Frederick, Maryland, which is in the northern part of Maryland near the Virginia and West Virginia border. Played his college, or his college golf, I should say, at Jacksonville University, where he was a four-year letterman. As a sophomore, he finished seventh in the 1977 Sun Belt Championship. As a senior, he came back and won it by six strokes. He would go on to lead Jacksonville University to two Sun Belt Conference Championships. He's a charter member of the Jacksonville University Sports Hall of Fame. Donnie earned his tour card by meddling at the 1982 PGA Tour qualifying tournament at TPC Sawgrass and, get this, winning it by a record 14 strokes, folks. He played on the PGA Tour from 1983 to 1998. He won twice on the regular tour at the 1986 Bob Hope Chrysler Classic in the 1989 Texas Open, where he came within one stroke of the all-time scoring record, having shot rounds of 65-64, 65-64 at Oak Hill. He won once on what was then the buy.com tour, now the web.com tour at the 2000 Lakeland Classic. Donnie also won the 1982 Florida Open. Over the course of his career, he's had 46 top 10 finishes, and he's made the cut 70% of the time that he's teed it up. His birthday is coming up on April the 1st, and I am honored that he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Donnie, happy birthday a little early, my friend. How are you?
2: Thank you. Yeah, Chris, coming up. The old odometer's getting ready to click over one more time, it looks like. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so Donnie, and I hope you don't mind me saying, it, you're gonna be 61. I'll be 53 on April 19th. So we're both Aries, whatever for whatever that is worth. But Donnie, does it does it bother you? Did did 60 bother you? 50 didn't bother me. I don't know about 60. Does it bother you?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I got to be honest. I mean, it's kind of a kind of a number that is a little. Yeah, I loved it when I got to 50. You know, I'm eligible for the Champions Tour. But then you hit 60, it's not not that appealing. But but you kind of you're a little closer to Social Security, so I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> mixed, but overall I'd say it's negative.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, Dottie, catch us up. What's been going on with you so far here in, in 2018?
2: Been playing a lot of golf. Uh, yeah, I was up at TPC the other day. Uh, that your club hub. I need to get some of those because I was le- I left a couple clubs out there. Leonard Thompson was playing right behind me. And I'm sitting in the bar having a glass of wine, and he brings up my sand wedge that I left on the 18th hole. He was playing right behind us. So i got to get some of those just for club <laughs> location, actually, not for shots <laughs> or anything. But just playing a lot of golf, teaching teaching a little bit of golf. And uh, actually, since Tiger came back, I've been watching a lot of golf, and it's uh, it's been pretty exciting.
0: So talk about the teaching piece. That's, that's sort of something new over the last year or so, right?
2: Yeah it is. Uh I, I work at a club in Orlando, Alaqua Country Club. It's in the north side of town as the membership director. Uh started teaching about a year ago and it's it's become pretty fun. I have uh I have some good junior golfers and I'm teaching some of the members and you know it kind of reinforces what what you've been working on for years. A lot of the things come back to you and so it's actually helped my game. So, you know, being able to Help some of the youngsters, some of the members, and then you know maybe swing the club a little better myself. So it's been a it's been a good uh, synergy with the teaching.
0: And and when you're and when you're spending time, whether it's with the junior players or or the members there, talk about your style. Is are, are you a, a look and a feel guy, or are you a track man guy? Do you mix the mix the two? What's your style of teaching?
2: I mean, I like I like to use all the technology that's out there right now, whether it's you know, help fit, fit, uh, the folks with the right, uh, weight shaft, the flex, uh, you know, if they're hooking it, you can flatten the irons a little bit. I like, uh, um, I like using, you know, the technology to, to help the players improve. And then I like to be out on the golf course. We, you know, we're kind of an exclusive course. So, uh, I can take them out on the golf course with not a lot of people around and work on a lot of the scoring shots, whether it's, you know, yardages, chipping, putting, bunker shots. Uh, So not as much of the mechanical, you know, we do some of that on the range, but when we get out on the golf course, then we figure out how we're going to score, you know, a little course knowledge, uh, you know, what we're going to hit off the tee, how we're going to draw the ball, fade the ball a little bit. And then around the greens is, you know, that's where you can really save a lot of shots. So kind of fine tuning the the scoring part of the game for, for my people.
0: And talk about that around the greens. Give us give us a playing tip, Donnie, because I, I see some different schools of thought, right? Like my my son, 17, he he's playing some junior golf, and his his first instructor was all about using just use the wedge. Let's use one club, no matter you know if he was you know two or three yards off the green, if he was 10 or 15 yards off the green, and t- teaching him how to you know the chip and pitch with just that one club. But then we, I, I think, see other instructors yeah. talk about, you know, using 7-iron, 8-iron, 9-iron, depending on how close you are. Talk about what's your style. What do you think the right thing to do is?
2: I think when you start out playing the first year or so, it's okay to, you know, just go with your sand wedge from off the green. But then, you know, as you start fine-tuning, getting down in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, you know, then you want to start using clubs like 8-iron where you, you know, you're able to pitch it five or six feet onto the green and let it roll another 50 feet, you know, instead of trying to fly the sand wedge halfway there, you know, your margin for error is a lot less when you get the ball rolling a little lower, uh, even with a hybrid, you know, off the, off the greens down here in Florida, those are great when you get in that little Bermuda rough right around the greens, just take that little three or four hybrid out and, and get it rolling or you can just carry it onto the green. But the biggest mistake that I've seen in the last 25 years with amateurs is when they get in the bunker, they don't open the face enough. You know, they come in there. with They might have a 60-degree sand wedge, but that's where they have it. They have it right there level at 60 degrees. You have to open that up, and, you know, it's 75 degrees. Just kind of open it up almost as much as you can because then you can take a full swing, take a little bit of sand, and, and be able to your margin of error is very low when, when you're able to take a full swing. You uh you know you, you splash the ball out almost like you imagine maybe the, it's a ping pong ball in the uh in the bunker so you have to really take a full swing and splash it out. And you can do that when you open the face. But uh I don't see that a whole lot when I'm playing pro ams uh and that's that's probably another one uh, tip I can give uh amateurs.
0: Donnie, I want to talk a little bit about the mental side of the game. We talk about that a lot here on this show. And I think we saw Tiger talk about just, you know, just this past weekend at the Arnold Palmer about not committing to the shot, right? He, he coming down the stretch, he wasn't committed to the driver and, uh, and put himself out, you know, OB, and it really cost himself the opportunity to continue his charge late on Sunday. But talk about, you know, coming, coming to whatever, whatever you decide to do, the importance of committing to that shot so that you can try to execute it and not de-sell, uh, which obviously gets so many of, of we amateurs in trouble.
2: I mean, it starts, Chris, with picking out your target. That's, that's a very important. If you're going to hit a little five-yard draw, you know, the pin's in the back left. You pick out a target. Try to pick out something, you know, like a part of a bush or a leaf or even a tee that's, you know, a little bit ahead of you that's on that line. And really commit to starting the ball on that line with that little draw. And then you just, uh, you know, you have to t- you take your practice swing or you go through your routine. And, and that's another important thing is try to keep that as consistent as you can. Like when you're hitting balls on the range, be aware of what is my routine. How many times do I waggle? How many times do I look up? Uh, and get that consistent so that you can uh, – you know, you can be doing the same, especially over shots where you have to hit over water or, you know, tight uh, tight hole locations is to get the routine, and then you just have to let it go. You just have to commit to the shot. That's your best chance, actually, for hitting a good shot is just to you have to let it go and not try to steer it. I mean, you know, you get on the first tee at the club there, and you got some people watching, you try to steer it. Good things usually don't happen but at least you have a chance when you take a good full swing and have that target in mind where you want to start it. And
0: let's just take that last example one step further, Donnie, when you do step to the first tee and there are people around you, whether it's, you know, just the, the next foursome, you know, in line for their tee time, or you might be playing in a tournament and, you know, everyone is sort of backed up, you know, waiting for people to get off on number one. How do you not let, you know, the choke, you know, come in. How do you not let that big bite of the apple get you and just relax, <laughs> yeah. tee it up and let it go and get off the first tee?
2: It's hard to do. I, I I mean, I was 10, 15 years. I'm sure you could ask Olin Brown the same question that's getting ready to come on when he gets into a regular tournament. You know, if he's 57, 58 years old, he's still going to get those, you know, those butterflies on the first tee. And it's it's just hard to get away from. It's kind of like they say, you know, if you're not nervous, then you're not in the right mindset. You just try to use it to your advantage because what it does is it gives you energy. You know, you're you're fired up a little bit. You have people watching and, uh, you know, you're starting out the tournament. So it does give you energy. And the more you can kind of stay with your routine and pick your target out, that at least gives you the chance to, you know, to bust it down the middle of the fairway and hopefully birdie the first hole. But it's a hard thing to to accomplish over the years.
0: And speaking of energy, Donnie, when, you, when you're playing, you know, midway through the front nine, maybe you're making the turn in a tournament, going to the back nine. It's, it's not like, you know, it is for, for most of us where at the turn, we can go in and grab a, a whatever, a hot dog, a, a, you know, a, a, a candy bar, whatever it might be. What, what, do you, what do you take when you're playing in a tournament? What do you take out on the tour or out on the course with you so that you keep your energy up?
2: I'll tell you the best thing I liked is, is to grab a peanut butter and jelly from lunch when you go in, you know, the clubhouse. They have everything in these clubhouses that we played on the tour. You could take fried chicken. You could, they'll bring, they'll make anything for, you know, the tour pros. But I used to love having a uh, peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat and just put that into a, uh, you know, a plastic bag. And then just try not to make a big mess of yourself when you're out there because it does get a little, you know, the <laughs> jelly. But uh, that was the best thing. And then they have all these little, you know, oatmeal protein bars and things like that. But I was never crazy about those. Uh, I, I used to, uh, protein drinks, I used to have those. I would mix up some protein powder with that had carbohydrates in it and mix that with water. And that was kind of like a like a liquid meal. And that, that would hold you. You really didn't eat food with that. And and, uh, that was pretty good, but you try a bunch of different things when you're out there and see what works.
0: Donnie, I want to switch gears a little bit and and get your thoughts on some of the things going on around the tour right now. And and, and, the big topic is about the golf ball, right? Bifurcation should we have one set of you know a set of golf balls you know golf ball regulations for the guys out on tour while the rest of us can continue to play what's available to us out on the market? Do you buy into any of that? Is that the right thing to do? Is that the wrong thing to do? Is, or should we not be worried about what what's going on with the golf ball at all?
2: I think it's going to be pretty hard to scale the ball back right now. I think that that ship maybe sailed about eight or ten years ago um, it's It just got a little bit. You know, the ball companies got just a little bit ahead of the people that were testing the golf balls. And they were able to figure out, you know, how to do the the outside, the core, you know, the outside of the golf ball, the layering. They, you know, they, they're just experts at it. And, you know, I think it would be a good thing if, you know, there were limits on the PJ Tour ball. That would make it a lot simpler than trying to do it game wide where you did it you know the, for for all the amateur players i don't think that that's a good idea at all but i think i think it could work with the professional tours where they could bring back the you know the mileage the speed that it's coming off the club face i think that'd be a good thing
0: last sunday we saw Rory McIlroy right i right, 373 yards on the par 5 16th hole so we had driver wedge to that par 5 if they decided for whatever reason, you know what, we're not going to roll this thing back. Should they be doing something to the golf courses to make it, you know, fairways more narrow, grow the rough a little higher, change the conditions a little bit, make make scoring a little more difficult to do if they decide not to do anything with the equipment?
2: I mean, a hole like 16 at Bay Hill. you Yeah, driver sandwich. I mean, that, that, that was crazy. I was watching that on TV. We were at a little birthday party and I couldn't believe it. I thought he must have laid up. They said, no, this is second shot. I'm watching. Uh, I think what you could do on holes like that is just bring the fairway in a couple yards on each side. Uh, you know, you could have the rough a little higher. But, you know, we have a lot of tournaments where the rough uh, is high. And the guys still, you know, shoot 16 under for the week. You know, like up at East Lake in Atlanta, you know, a couple years ago, they would have the rough up. But the guys were driving it 100 yards from the hole. And still, you know, they could still get sand wedge on it. So um you could firm, you know, firm the fairways up a little bit, you know, when they chase out and roll into the rough, then you're not going to be able to, you know, get, get the spin on the ball and be able to control it like you can, you know, when you hit it out there 320. So it's tricky. The guys, you know, the guys are hitting it further right now than they used to We're, The guys are swinging harder and they're, and they're hitting it for a lot further. So. It's uh, it's going to be tough.
0: Donnie, looking ahead a couple of weeks, we have the Masters coming up here on the calendar. Do you remember the first time you drove up Magnolia Lane and played the course?
2: Yeah, I do. Yeah, '86. Um, beautiful. I think the weather was really nice the first three days or so, and I think I mentioned on your show before I got to play nine holes with Arnold on Tuesday. And that was just the highlight of the week for me, the highlight of, you know, of Augusta national for me. Uh, and then I was in contention that week uh, for the tournament. So it's just, whether you go there as a player or as a fan, or even if you're working up there, you know, as a volunteer, it's, it's just a fantastic place to be. And especially if you catch the good weather, I'm hoping you get some really good weather up there this week and, uh, maybe redeem yourself on the weather on what day are you going Wednesday?
0: I'm going Monday, Monday. Okay. All right.
2: I think I may go Saturday. I like watching. I, I like, uh, I have a qualifier up there on Monday after the tournament in Atlanta for the champions tour. So I like to go a day or two before that so I can get my practice round. And I think I'll be out there Saturday. So it's, uh, it's really exciting though. It's, you know, it's golf course is so beautiful and, And you kind of miss it after not being there, you know, for a few years.
0: Donnie, what was it like trying to learn how to putt those greens the first time? I got to imagine that's one of the hardest sets of greens to understand, figure out, understand what the break is, speed, top to back, you know, top to front, side to side. What was it like the first time trying to figure them out?
2: Well, luckily, I had a a really good caddy up there. that had been around the course several years. He had caddied in the tournament uh, before that, Sonny Clifton, and uh, he was excellent around there. That helped a lot on some of the reads because I was way off on, you know, the first couple days where I was hoping to hit the ball. And then Sonny would come in and say, well, we got to go, you know, this way. But, uh, you know, the speed is hard to get used to. I, ha- I had a putt-putt right near my house in Orlando these were the old putt-putts that were kind of flat, and I would go there in the evening the week before and hit these 20-footers that were – actually, they were quicker putts than than I even had at Augusta. So, I mean, I I went up there for an hour and a half at night and just putted uh, at these putt-putts, and some of them were breaking, and that kind of helped a lot because when I got up there, it was – I was a little bit used to the, you know, the speed of of putts. But there, the greens – if you hit a seven or eight footer and you get it on line, it's going to go in the hole. It's it's not going to hit a spike mark or do something crazy. That That's the good thing. You can hit 10 or 15 footers and four feet from the hole, you know, you, you're seeing it break toward the hole. You know it's going to go in and that's, uh, that makes it a little easier.
0: Donnie, talk about the 12th hole. You know, we, we hear it's the, you know, the hardest little hole in golf. What makes number 12 so difficult to figure out?
2: Well, the wind, you know, you get there and you and you're coming down the 11th fairway and you're already starting to check the wind a little bit for 12. But it's something about that little valley area down there that, you know, the winds are going in one direction, going up 13, they're heading down on 12 and they're going a little bit the other direction up on 11 it's just it's never set it's almost like when you're standing over the shot you have to adjust a little bit right before you pull it back it's changed you know within 10 seconds or so and that's kind of hard to adjust to when you have water all up the front of the green shrubbery in the back bunkers and a very narrow green you know to hit to with the distance so it's It's just a demanding shot. You know, if you, you know, let it leak a little right, you're probably going to make at least five. So uh, it's just a big adjustment. And once again, you have to hit it when you're ready and and you have a good idea on the wind. And then you just have to make the best swing you can and hope you uh, hope you're going to the putter after the tee shot.
0: And that hole seems to clearly be in Jordan Spieth's head. You know, we all know about the disaster he made a couple of years ago. He put another ball in the water in the fourth round last year. How do you mentally get past something like that?
2: Sometimes, guys, you know, it takes years before you get over something like that. He's, he'll be thinking about that for sure. You know, he could take a little bit more of a conservative route to the left. You know, over the years, we've seen a lot of guys make double from that back left bunker, or you know, back in those bushes in the back. If you catch it a little, a little long and a little left, you can make five just as easy from there. So, um, I think uh, I think he's gotten a lot of experience the last two or three years there, and he's probably going to do a lot better this year. Um, But it's a tough thing to get over. It's just a really tough hole and um, anything can happen there. You, you know, you make a two there and you feel like you're stealing uh, walking off that green, but it'll be interesting to see how he handles it this year.
0: Donnie, just a couple of more before we let you go. And um, like I said, at the top of the show, one of our good friends here, his actor turned her host of Talking Golf Getaways, and that's Mitchell Lawrence. And Mitch said he's played some rounds of golf with you, wanted me to say hello to you for him. But yeah. uh, curious, what do you remember teeing it up with Mitch?
2: I do. Yeah, we played in Greensboro in the Pro-Am. And I was like, this guy's funny. Yeah, he's a comedian. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's supposed to be funny. He was really great. Yeah, I remember Mitch. He's a good player, Mitch too, is- I think. I yeah, think he's, I he's gone exclusively to the
0: hickory shafted clubs now, so he has, that's all he does is play hickory. Well, now he's
2: to, not a good player then. If he's playing wooden shafts, I think he's gone downhill <laughs> a little bit, but it, it's got to be enjoyable to play with those old clubs. But Mitch was great. Yeah, I remember running into Mitch um, a few years after that out on the tour. He was a big golf fan, and you could tell he loved the game, and he was he was great to be around.
0: Donnie, one of the other things that you and I have in common is our affection for NASA and uh, space exploration. So I got I know you, you post some stuff out on social media about that sort of thing. So if SpaceX had an open seat to go to the moon, you getting on?
2: Uh yeah, I'd go to the moon. I'm not I'm not packing to go to Mars though. That's just shit. No. No, but I would take the trip to the moon. Yeah, I'd go there.
3: But yeah, I i with you. In the qualifier
2: uh, down in Boca, I missed in the playoff for the uh the first qualifier of the year and um and the SpaceX launch, the the big one, the heavy, Falcon Heavy was launching like in twenty minutes. I'm driving up the turnpike. I have my iPad streaming on SpaceX. I got it on my phone, and all of a sudden the turnpike turns east and I'm heading right toward the cape now and I s and I watched it blast off and I'm watching it online and then I watched the, you know, the, the two side rockets land simultaneously right there on the pad. And it was just amazing. That was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen as far as, you know, around the, around the cape. And that had to be exciting for you to see, wasn't
0: it? Yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, you know, the the whole idea that uh, we're starting, you know, and again, it's, it costs you a trillion dollars to to do any of this sort of thing, but uh, that we're starting to inch our way towards, you know, this sort of thing, right? Whether we can, uh, one day people can actually, you know, go to the moon and that's a thing. And then to your point, uh, they're starting to talk about, you know, trips to Mars and all of that. But, uh, you know, I, I've been a big space nut since, you know, the Apollo days and uh, the, the, yeah. the dream of yeah. going to the moon and that sort of thing. Boy, that's, that's something that I've always sort of fancied,
2: yeah, I really love it i I try to see as many as I can the launches down there, and I'm always watching them online um It's fantastic it's in the last year and a half or so it's uh you know they've really perfected those you know reusable rockets, and uh it's pretty thrilling to watch.
0: Donnie, before we let you go, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether that's you know the, the teaching, whether that's following you as, as you you know qualify to get back out on the Champions Tour, and then just sort of all the other things that you're doing. How can they follow you online and over social media?
2: Yeah, Twitter, Twitter at uh, Donnie Hammond, and then uh, DonnieHammond.com. I'm, I'm starting to do little schools down here. If you're traveling to Orlando and you want to come down for a half a day or a day, um, you know, I can take you out on the course and we can teach and play some, play a round or two. And I do that. And that's on the, you know, my contact information is on dot So they could, um, they could do that. Yeah. I'd love to see well, Donnie, some thank- folks come.
0: Donnie, thank you so much for taking time out of your night uh, to come back and be a part of the show. I'll always have such a great time when you're able to join me. I appreciate your time tonight and hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon.
2: I hope so. Have fun at the Masters, and thanks for having me on, Chris.
0: All right, Donnie. You do the same. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon, my friend.
2: Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: See you, Donnie. That's the great Donnie Hammond. And again, DonnieHammond.com, and uh, check him out at Donnie Hammond on Twitter. He does a lot of great stuff, and uh, the space stuff is something that, uh, that I certainly share with him and look forward to catching up with Donnie, hopefully again here real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Owen Brown, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors. First, folks, you've heard me talking about Club Hub Sensors over the last several months. It is the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out on the market. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have club hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the club hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market can capture that and let you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And no other rangefinder can do all that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Clubhub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT and get 10% off of all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market at a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. also want to remind you about our friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the course are essential, whether you're playing on the tour, in your club championship, or just your weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar is the golfer's nutritional bar that can help you with both of those things, energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest every three holes until you're finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Parbar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online to parbargolf.com and order yours today. And, folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
3: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris.
0: And now back in making his fourth appearance with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Olin Brown. Let me remind you about Olin's background. He is from Washington, D.C. He attended Occidental College out in L.A., and he joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually moved his way all the way up to being their number one player. He was named a first-team all-conference, all-SCIAC golfer in 1980 and 1982, and he received an at-large invitation to the NCAA Division III championship. He was inducted into their Golf Hall of Fame in 1997, and their Golf Annual MVP Award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984, and he's won four times on the then Nike Tour, twice in 1991, once in '93, and once in '96. He has won three times on the regular tour at the 1998 Greater Hartford Open by chipping in from 40 feet to defeat Stuart Sink and Larry Mize in a playoff. I bet Larry Mize can name that tune in one note. He won the 1999 Colonial by one stroke over a host of players, including Fred Funk in the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship over Jason Bond. In 2005, he won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award Over the course of his playing career, he's had five wins, 45 top 10 finishes, and 105 top 25s. Included in those five wins are two so far on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open, which he won by three strokes over Mark O'Meara. He's also won here in Atlanta at the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship by one stroke over Bernard Langer. He's gotten off to a great start this year. He's currently 28th on the money list. A couple of weeks ago, he finished tied for fifth at the uh, Coleo Guard Classic, and I'm rooting very hard for him every week, and I'm thrilled he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Owen, thanks for coming back on the show.
3: Chris, you're such a good guy. I can't believe you've invited me back for a fourth, for a fourth visit. Thanks for having me.
0: So, so, Owen, are you over in Biloxi, Mississippi, getting ready for next week's tournament?
3: You know what? I'm in Biloxi, Mississippi. I'm at the draw party for the tournament. We'll get the am starting tomorrow, and I'm in, the, uh, I'm in the service garage behind the building – Talking to you about golf. How much better is it to get than that?
0: <laughs> for me, it doesn't get much better. For you, I'm sure it gets a heck of a lot better. I appreciate you taking I'm living, time. I'm living large. Out of the party. I'm living
3: large right now. <laughs> Great to be with you.
0: <laughs> so I, I gotta get your thoughts. Oh, you know, for status of your game. You're you're playing so well. A tie for five, just a couple. Of, a tie for fifth a couple of weeks ago. How are you feeling about how 2018 has started?
3: Uh, okay. So my, my, uh, my golf the last year, year and a half looks kind of like a heart monitor. My good's really good. My bad's really bad. Um, you know, I played really nicely in Tucson. I was very pleased by that. And then I played about the same kind of golf the next week and my butter kind of went soft on me and and I finished uh, 40th or something like that. So I, I don't know what's coming every week. I'm just showing up and doing the best I can and having a lot of fun doing it still. So that's, you know, that's, that's where we are.
0: Well, when I look at, at your stats, when you're driving the ball in the fairway 73% of the time. You're hitting the greens in regulation 65% of the time. You're 13th on tour in scrambling, 13th in one-putt percentage, 18th overall in putting average and putts per round with 20. So it seems like it's just a matter of time before you're at the top of the leaderboard.
3: You know what? Those are encouraging signs. I like hearing that from you because I'm a little harder on myself than that. And I don't like, I don't like some of the things I've been doing, but... You know, every week is a new week. Um, I, I like some of the trend and I'm just working towards uh, playing the best I can on a weekly basis.
0: Oh, and we're uh, just talking with Donnie Hammond. We're a couple of weeks shy of this year's Masters tournament. I read that, you know, two of the greatest thrills that you've had in golf were, you know, being a part of the 2008 Ryder Cup team and, and playing in the Masters. And, and there was an article in the Augusta Chronicle back in 2006, that quoted you as saying that playing in the Masters was the only thing I've done or seen in golf that ever surpassed my expectations. Is that really the case?
3: Well, that and being a part of the Ryder Cup team in 2008. Those are the two things that exceeded. Look, you you know you play you play really good golf. Here's how it breaks down for me. I play great. I happen to win a tournament. It's great. People pat on the back. You know you put the money in the bank uh you get a few more house payments out of the deal, but the reality of it is is that you know after after that tournament's over, you're on to the next week and people are trying to beat your brains in and it doesn't there's no staying power in that right there's no last to it um you know I guess if you look backward and you see in retrospect some of the things that that maybe those things have some legs, but the reality of it is is that for me the things that resonated that have resonated the most are uh playing in the masters because to an american player i think that's the pinnacle of golf now i think the open championship also is one of those kinds of things that is you know kind of a, an historical and kind of uh, uh special type of thing but the masters is such a sp- spooky in the right context of the word place because there's so much It's the only major that's played at the same venue every year. It's been played since the thirties. It's got the who's who as champions on it. And I I think that, that a a rookie could go there and play and never have to play a practice round and know exactly what he's up against because we've all been watching it for so long. We've all been invested in so long. I mean, every single person knows where he was in 1986 when Jack made that ridiculous run and won the tournament and uh it's just one of those very very unique and special places so yes that that course and that tournament holds a special place in my heart and then of course the Ryder Cup being assistant captain of Paul Azinger and winning the Ryder Cup at Valhalla uh on on the heels of the team struggling for so long and uh, being a part of that is something that I never anticipated. I mean, I I was close to qualifying for the Ryder cup in 99, but didn't make the team. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you're never sure you're going to get a chance to experience. And the grace of ball, he invited me and, and, uh, and I was there and it was just uh, the most exciting thing I've been a part of.
0: So Owen, when, when you look at going, going back to your time in college at Occidental, Right, you you get inducted into their Hall of Fame. The MVP trophy is now named in your honor. What's it like being recognized, but you know, by your school like that? Not only getting into their Hall of Fame, but now the trophy that everybody else after that is now going to be holding is the Owen Brown Trophy.
3: Um, well, it's certainly a big honor. You know, I mean, I it, I don't I don't know that anybody plays this game for stuff like that, but when 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 a, a body like the school that you went to takes it upon itself to embrace what you've done, uh, certainly they're not going to put me in the academic hall of fame, but to embrace what I've done as a player and and have it reflect on their program and try and uh, establish some kind of a, like an historical reference for the program, that means a lot.
0: And on, like I mentioned in your intro, got your first win on the on the PGA Tour at the '98 Hartford Open by chipping in from 40 feet to de- defeat, amongst other, Larry Mize, which just seems, you know, very ironic that uh, after Larry you know gets his Masters in '87 by chipping in, you come out and you you chip in to beat him to win a golf tournament. Did you ever talk to did did Larry ever say anything to you about that and compare the chips or anything along those lines? <laughs>
3: Well, Larry and I are very good friends. Uh, I have great admiration for Larry. He is one of the really genuinely nice, wonderful people on the Champions Tour, but the PGA Tour as well. He's a gentleman's gentleman. He's a Christian. Uh, he walks the walk. He's a, uh, he's, he's one of the few people, uh, that you meet in life where you go, you know, this guy, this guy is for real, you know. I mean, he's just a really, really good guy. Um, and, you know, when I in, when I chipped in to win that tournament, a bunch of people are talking about this and that, blah, 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 and what a great shot it was. And I go, hey, the greatest shot that I've ever seen was the shot that Larry made to win the Masters in 87 uh, against Greg, you know. I mean, Greg, the best player in the world, and Larry in maybe the most – I mean, if he'd hit it in the water on his second shot, that would have been the worst position, but the next worst position was to have missed the green that far to the right. And then hometown hero Kansas. you know, the most, maybe the most improbable shot I've ever seen uh televised. Now, you know, Gene Saracen when he, when he made his double Eagle there or whatever, but that wasn't the, you know, the, the, uh, that wasn't the walk off either. Right. When Larry made that shot. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an inexplicable experience for, especially for a homie. For him to have done that, um you know that's his that's his legacy in golf, all the great things that he's done, all the stuff that he's that he's done, you know to help other people, and all the golf that he's played, the great golf that he's played that is the one shot for which he'll always be remembered.
0: I well, on just a couple more before we let you get back to the to the party you two thousand eleven you're out on the champions tour now you bring home a major right you win the twenty eleven u s senior open at Inverness. Talk about winning a major not only winning a major, you know, in the style that you did, but you outdistance a field, you know, of, of you know, legends, obviously, right. The Marco Miras and Cal and and Hale Irwin, Bernard Langer, all near the top of the leaderboard. Talk about what it was like coming down the stretch, trying to, you know, beat those guys.
3: Well, um, it was a, it was a difficult week. You know, I, I opened with a really low round. I, I had the lead uh, starting from Thursday and, I think I had a two shot lead every day going into Sunday. I played with Mark O'Meara on Saturday and Sunday. And we kind of had a, a little battle going on Saturday uh, where, especially on the back nine, we really got it going. And, and M.O. shot, he shot 31 on the back nine. And I birdied the last hole. And I'm sitting in the scoring tent, I'm adding it up. And I shot 29. And I that helped me maintain my two-shot lead over him. But it, more importantly, it distanced me from everybody else in the field. So Mark had a three-shot lead for second, and I had a two-shot lead on him. It basically ended up being match play on Sunday. And, you know, you, you just couldn't ask for a better pairing than to get paired with Mark. He's uh, – first of all, we're, we like fishing. We talk about that. We go fishing together. He's one of those kind of guys that's really easy to get along with. He's not uh, – you know, he's out there to play his best golf, but the first guy, you know, to meet me when I made my putt on the, on the final hole was M.O. He walked right to it before he did even putt it out, gave me a handshake and a hug. And, um, it was a, an experience that I'll never forget. And, uh, certainly be paired with him the last 36 holes, I think was, was a real benefit because he's such a class act, such a great player.
0: And, and you drained a bomb for Birdie. On the last hole, you know, you end up winning by three, but that's got to be a huge thrill to cap it off that way.
3: Well, you know, uh, everybody asked me how that week went, and it was just it's a phenomenal week. It was almost an out of body experience. You know, I played as good a, as good a uh, golf day to day that that I that I can remember, and you know, each day was a lot of fun. You know, the first day I shoot sixty four, I got a couple shot lead. The second day I shoot sixty nine. I maintain that I'm playing with m o we shoot those ridiculous scores on the back nine. I maintain my lead. Everybody asked me how much fun was it. It goes the first three days were a blast. Sunday was awful. you know I mean you know got a, th- a two forty five or three o'clock tea time you know you go to sleep, you wake up at two thirty in the morning you can't sleep anymore. you know you get the stress level building, <laughs> the anxiety, the whole thing you know. F- the amount of time that I had between the time I woke up and couldn't fall back to sleep to the time I hit my first tee shot was almost a full day. Anyway, you know, it was 12 hours. And, uh, and then to get out on the golf course and uh, actually on the driving range and hit my first shot, a lot of that tension left my body and I was able to play pretty solid golf. I had one, one bogey and one birdie um, that last round of my only bogey was a three putt. And the truth is, is that uh, once I settled into the round, I think I hit my last uh, 11 or 12 greens in every fairway uh, from about the seventh or eighth hole to the house. So, you know, it was one of those great weeks for me um, to be a U.S. senior Open champion. That's going to be a big deal for a long time for me.
0: Owen, are you coming here to Atlanta next month to play in the Mitsubishi Electric Classic up at uh, Sugarloaf?
3: You know, I am.
0: And uh, I love that golf course. I love being in Atlanta. The golf
3: course has been a part of the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour champions for a long time. Uh, it's springtime in the South. It's just a beautiful time of year, year to be up there. Greg Dorman designed Sugarloaf. It's really a great golf course. And uh, Mitsubishi has stepped up, and they're a big sponsor. You know, they sponsor the tournament in Hawaii, and they, they sponsor that tournament there in Atlanta. It's great to have them part of our tour. And uh, I can't wait to be up there in, uh, in about a month.
0: Yeah, and I look forward to to seeing you there. Before I let you go, I just want to throw one other thing. My father um, and his playing partner, Mike Wells, good friends, uh, uh, when we were living in Memphis and uh, were members at Stonebridge, remembers playing a round of golf with you. You're 19 years old, and uh, you were up there to play a tournament, and you played a practice round at Stonebridge, and he's uh, he's followed your career ever since. I just wanted to throw that in and let you know that uh, he's a big fan of yours.
3: You know what? Uh, anybody who's related to you, I'm a big fan of as well. And, uh, tell them, thank you so much. And, uh, you know what, it's a great game. This game of golf, it brings you to meeting a lot of different people, takes you to a lot of different places. And, uh, it's a journey that while, you know, you sit around and daydream about things, you can't imagine the reality of it. And it's, uh, you know, we're all really blessed and gifted to be part of, part of golf and PGA tour golf and this great game that brings us so many great places.
0: Ah, uh, you're fantastic, Owen. Let our listeners know, how can they follow you, stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or it's over social media?
3: Yeah, so uh, i got a Twitter account. It's Olin Brown. I like, uh, I like getting into things on, on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's, it's a great source of uh, information. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to be talking about. Uh, there's certainly a, a lot of topics that people broach on Twitter, and uh, so that's how you can find me, and you know what, if you have a question, I'll, I'll try and follow up.
0: And you're a great disc jockey as well, by the way, so kudos to you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks,
3: yeah. I post I post a song every day. My daughter is in, uh, in the music business. She's a singer-songwriter, and I was trying to figure out a way to kind of promote her product, so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to post a song every day and welcome everybody to the new day with a song, and then I slip one of her songs in there, too, and it, Gets her a little publicity, and it's a lot of fun. So follow her on alexanderbrown.com as well. alexanderbrownmusic.com
0: oh, and, so so oh, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy night and stepping into the closet to, to take our take our call and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I really appreciate you.
3: Chris, it's great being with you. It's always great talking to you. I love your show. I love
0: listening to your guests. and
3: look forward to being invited back again for number five.
0: There you go. Take care, Owen. Good luck. We look forward to catching up with you again real soon. All right, brother. Be well. See ya. Be sure to follow Owen Brown. I'm looking forward to having him up here in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. In between now and then, we are certainly huge Owen Brown fans in our family. All right, I've got our next guest, Eric Meeks, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Eric after this real quick station ID.
1: You're listening to Next on the T
3: heard around the world on great sites like TuneIn and Podbean hear your favourite PGA and LPGA legends pros and top instructors sharing their stories insights and tips to lower your scores every week here on Next
1: on the T now back to you Chris
0: And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Eric Meeks. Let me remind you about Eric's background. He is from San Bernardino, California, played his college golf at the University of Arizona and was a third-team All-American in 1988. While he was there, he won twice during the 1987 season at the Golf World Invitational and at the William H. Tucker Intercollegiate Tournament. He helped Arizona to the number one ranking in 1988, which was a banner year for Eric because he won the 1988 U.S. Amateur over Danny Yates, 7 and six. After winning the first four holes in the morning round of the 36-hole final, went on to shoot 65, one of the best rounds ever in a U.S. amateur. He defeated two-time amateur champion Jay Siegel in the Friday round to advance to the, uh, advance to the finals, and he also beat, uh, defeated David Toms of LSU in the semis. On top of earning an invitation to the 1989 Masters with his win, he also played in the Walker Cup matches that, that year, which was played up here in Atlanta at the Petrie Petri Golf Club. He turned pro and played on what was then the Nike Tour and now the Web.com Tour and had a couple of runner-up finishes at the 2001 Suland Open and the 2002 Price Cutter Charity Championship. He also played on the Asian Tour and finished eighth on their Order of Merit in 1999. Eric was inducted into the University of Arizona Sports Hall of Fame in 1993, and he now runs the Eric Meek School of Golf and is Director of Instruction at the TaylorMade Golf Experience out in Las Vegas, and I am thrilled he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Eric. Thanks for coming back on the show.
3: Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: So, Eric, I want to start by going all the way back to your time at the University of Arizona. And, Eric, I had Ted Purdy, on the show with me a couple of weeks ago and I know Ted was a few years after you at Arizona but you know by chance have you had an opportunity to play or talk with Ted over the years?
3: Oh yeah I played with Ted uh, a bunch over the years um, on the nationwide tour on the uh, over in Asia um, also over uh, uh, various terms various in the U.S. but uh, I haven't spoke to him recently but um, you know, he's a friend of mine. He's a great player played for, uh, just after me at the university of Arizona, but, um, really nice guy. I liked Ted a lot.
0: And Eric, you and Jim Furyk were together at the university of Arizona. Talk about what it was like playing alongside a young Jim Furyk.
3: So Jim Furyk actually came in right after when I came, I was a senior and then Furyk came in. So, um uh, you know, I wasn't able to play with him on the team, but, uh, I heard a lot, a lot of the guys I played with on the team were teammates of his. And so um, very competitive guy. And so one of the main things with, with Jim Ferrick uh, he has a unique golf swing and he didn't play very well his senior year in college, but it just goes to show how disciplined he is, how tough mentally he is because he stuck with it. And then had the, you know, he's having his career, uh, his professional's career has been amazing. And so uh, usually, when guys start getting it going sideways, they'll they'll make uh, you know swing changes, and they'll lose their confidence. Not Jim Ferrick, you know, so that, that just shows you how I think his greatest asset is the way um, his confidence and the way he thinks of the, his game. So uh, he did, he didn't uh, go look for a big swing change when it wasn't going his way as a senior year in college.
0: And, Eric, for folks who aren't aware about the great players that the University of Arizona has produced, on top of you and Ted Purdy and, and Jim Furyk, you got Dan Poole, Don Pooley, Ricky Barnes, Rory Sabatini, Robert Gomez, Mike Springer, and Jason Gore, just to name a few. And, and, Eric, so I have to imagine the alumni golf tournament has to be a lot of fun and pretty darn competitive, too.
3: Oh, yeah. And so a lot of, a lot of great players throughout the last, you know, 30 years, um, even longer than I actually. Uh, our coach LaRose is there for a long time. I think about 34 years he was there. Um, you know, it was great weather down in Tucson, uh, a lot of great golf courses. So I think that's what attracted a lot of the players. And then when the team became, you know, one of the top teams in the country, I think it really attracted, uh, it was easier to get the recruits, but when we have a chance to see each other, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of really good players there. Uh, it's always nice to see see the guys uh you know and so there's been so many guys that play that won on tour and then won you know one major so um any ch- time you get to you get back to see the guys at the at the fundraiser it's it's always great to see the guys so and some some guys are still playing playing well so fun to watch
0: and Eric, you were a part of the 1989 Walker Cup team, along with your teammate Robert Gomez, plus Danny Yates, who mm-hmm. you beat in the, in the amateur, and Phil Mickelson was on that team, too. And I read an account of that event that Jay Siegel wrote, which was heartbreaking, because you guys were mm-hmm. all but out of it, heading into the last day, into the singles matches mm-hmm. on Sundays, and you guys virtually had to run the table in order to win the event. And Jay was playing in the last event, uh, the last match mm-hmm. of the day, and of the eight earlier matches, you guys practically won them all. You, you you won six, you have two, and Jay was winning in his match, kind of coming down to the last couple of holes, and then he he had some bad luck and and, and you know, played poorly probably over the last two or three holes and end up having his match, which allowed Britain to win. But an exciting Walker Cup match. What do you remember about being a part of it?
3: Yeah, that was, uh, was that was an experience. First of all, Peachtree Golf or Country Club is just an incredible golf course. Uh, I played the singles match against the uh, British amateur champ, uh, Stephen Dodd. And I just remember teeing off the first hole par four at ugly right. And the whole fairway was aligned with people. So the young amateur, there a lot of nerves there. So um, and I knocked, knocked it down in the middle, knocked it on the green, had about a 40-footer, made my first putt, made the putt for birdie, and the crowd just went crazy. So that really got me going. Um, and I, was, I got three up in the match. I had a two-footer to go four up. And then I missed the two-footer. So it was three up through nine. And then um, just he played well on the backside, made a few mistakes, and it came down the last couple of holes for me. And I knew it was tight. I knew we needed that match. And uh, I ended up having to make a seven-footer to tie on the se- 17th hole. And then um, he had about a two-footer on the last hole, that I, which I gave to him just uh, for sportsmanship. But we ended up having the match uh it came down to jay in the last match he, he was right there i think he lost the last two holes it was tough to take uh we almost almost came back in that um but you know we gave it our all looking back on it it was a it was a great experience to play with some of those guys at, at the time i didn't know phil was going to go on to, to do what he did in the game and then uh, a couple other guys robert Gamma, is my teammate and won a couple times on tour uh jay Siegel had a, an incredible amateur career but to be paired, to be on that team it was a very special, special moment. And then I just had a chance to uh, speak with our captain, Fred Ridley, a few weeks ago. It was nice to see him after all that time. Uh, so, you know, something I'll never forget for
0: sure. Hey, Eric, as, as I've been talking with, with Donnie Hammond earlier tonight and just just finishing up with Owen Brown, we're a couple of weeks away here mm. from, from the Masters. As the '88 amateur champion, you got into the '89 Masters, and last time we discussed how the thought of you know being in the Masters started to creep into your head, you know, when you were in that last match in the '88 amateur because you had such a large lead. But when the when the, when the Masters invitation comes in the mail, what's that like? What's it like going to the mailbox and seeing your invitation to the Masters?
3: Yeah, it's special because you know everybody when you're a young uh, you know, amateur golfer, that's what you dream of playing in, at Augusta. And so, and you, one day you hope to win there, but just, just getting there is very important. Uh, it's very difficult to qualify for that tournament. And so, uh, at the time I was, I just turned 24. I know that's old and today's a, you know, a lot of young golfers out there, but, um, it was, uh, it was an accomplishment that I actually achieved faster than I thought that I would, you know? So, uh, I was excited about it. We had uh, had maybe 20 friends and family, good tickets to go and watch. Uh, got out there um, way early, basically. Went on a couple times before the tournament, but then also I think I arrived on Friday before, but I want to get used to the greens. And just to be able to play the practice rounds and then uh, you know, go and basically hit chip shots from where Larry Mize chipped in, um, you know, things like that, walking up 18, uh, watch it on tv so many years it, it was very special uh, and the greens are extremely uh tricky out there and, and so the tournament really doesn't start until you get on those greens and I think that I had my coach Rick LaRose caddy for me um from the U of A and he did a great job but looking back I think I should have taken that uh, local caddy because the greens are so subtle I, so much slope on them that the, the breaks you just can't see so it's really very important to uh, maybe have a local caddy, a guy who knows how those greens break. So I think it would have saved me a lot of shots, but uh, very special uh, to go back or to play. And then, you know, always, I always thought that I would be back. Well, multiple may, you know, try and maybe one day win the masters. Um, it didn't work out that way, but that's what was my thing at the time. I played one time. So, uh, you know, looking back on it to make that tournament, um, it was uh,
0: special. Did you get to stay in the crow's nest? Uh,
3: so I didn't stay in the crow's nest. I actually stayed. We we rented a house. I wanted to be able to get off site, uh, just so many people on site. And, uh, you know, just during the practice rounds and then into the tournament, I wanted to be able to get away from the golf course. Looking back on it, I probably should have stayed in the crow's nest as an amateur. I think you know that's an opportunity to go and, um, you know, stay with other amateurs in the, in the tournament, get to know them. Uh, You know, it's probably some, something I I should have done, but you know, I didn't do it, but um, there's a reason for it. But I've heard a lot of good things, you know, people staying at the the crow's nest and uh, the camaraderie basically
0: between the other amateurs, you know?
3: So yeah, I didn't, didn't do that.
0: Were you paired in the tournament with uh, the reigning U.S. O- or the U.S. Open champion at the time was Curtis Strange and the Open champion was Seve Ballesteros. Were you paired with those two? Uh,
3: no, that was in the U.S. Open uh, after the Masters. So I was paired with Sandy Lyle and so two-some. And uh, that was neat. You know, Sandy won a few years be- before uh, we played and then it, it was very nice to play with him. He didn't play. He didn't wasn't quite on his game, but Still incredible to play with a former champion, and uh, you know I think he he also won a British Open. So uh, you guys had an incredible career, um, but the Curtis Strange and Seve Seve I played uh, was paired with them at Oak Hill in the U.S. Open in June after that.
0: And there are always legends around you know augusta national right at the time you know the Mm -hmm. you know the the non-playing legends like the sam sneeds and the byron nelsons and the gene sarazins did you get an Mm -hmm. opportunity to talk with any of those legendary guys and sort of pick their brains about the the tournament or the greens or just in general about golf
3: yeah absolutely so i have a picture of um byron nelson came up to me on the putting green i mean and he didn't have to do that He, he walked over introduced himself to me um so that was special to get to get to talk to him for a little bit on the putting green. Uh, saw Sam Snead in the par three tournament. Uh, he was sitting on the bench on the first tee and I walked over and introduced myself. Uh, that was special to see him. I have a, actually, my dad took my brother and I out to uh, down in San Diego to get a picture with him when we were like three. And so to, to finally go back, you know, playing at, playing at Augusta and Sam Snead is sitting right there uh, was was incredible uh i think my dad was able to take a picture of that and we sent it over to him got a got it signed you know it was, it's something that uh you know from the from when we you were young getting that picture and then having that picture at it was uh you know it's on the wall trust me it's it's very it's really cool to see that so to be able to get that picture with him the, just uh, a couple more before we picture. let
0: you go and yeah. I, I saw you yeah. played in the twenty sixteen US Senior Open Championship which was played yeah. up at uh Scioto Country Club, which is Jack Nicholas's course that Nicholas grew up yeah. playing on. What was it like being a part of that tournament? Oh,
3: uh, that was incredible. It was uh it was
0: Scioto's an excellent golf
3: course and the Greens are a little bit elevated, so I get the ball in the air, you have to be very precise with your irons. Um, got to see a lot of the guys I used to play golf with. So that it was seven years between starts for me. So to step back in to the senior U.S. Open after not playing a tournament for seven years because I've been basically teaching, uh, it was difficult. It was very difficult. But I tell you, when I stepped back inside the ropes, it felt like I was 10 years younger and uh, I was just very focused and I got out to a good start. I was one under through eight holes on a very difficult golf course. Uh, And then the backside kind of got me. Uh, It was late in the afternoon and the wind picked up, made some bogeys. But uh, other than that, I... You know, I made I missed some shots. I wouldn't normally you know, wouldn't make those mistakes, but the chance to get back and play I, I played with Ralph Howe who was on my uh Walker Cup team also. Um, uh, you know, getting to see him again, that was that was a special. But very difficult golf course, stepping back in after seven years. So um it of course kinda of picked me apart a little bit, but uh it was fun to go back and then I'm gonna be trying again coming up here for uh the one of the Broadmoor. So uh that looking forward to that
0: and eric speaking of teaching your golf school is located out in las vegas not not far right off the the las vegas strip talk about what our listeners are going to find when they're out in las vegas and come to, come check you out
3: yeah so it's right off the las vegas strip about down from
0: uh five minutes from all the major hotels and so it's a
3: forty two acre nine hole course with lights and with a dry uh mat and two grass tees and so uh it's a great location to have a golf school and so um I teach adults and it's fun, definitely you know, there's so much information out there. I try and keep it simple. Too much stuff on usually when I see people they have like three, four, five, six things on their mind, trying to simplify it just to get it down to one or two. I know, you know when they miss, if they miss a shot, why they're missing so they don't hit the same shot, threat, you know, they're all day long for, you know, to, for the next two months, basically. So, uh, I, you know, it's basically, it's, it's, uh, and then I have a, an excellent uh, junior program, and that's really where I specialize, getting the kids uh, through junior golf and into high school golf and then into college golf, and then uh, having a chance to play college golf and a scholarship. And so uh, it's been a lot of fun, I'll tell you, it's a lot of fun, but uh, I've learned a lot over, over the years of uh, playing professional golf, amateur golf and professional golf. So it's, it's kind of nice to be able to pass it on to my students.
0: Eric, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online about what you're doing as a teacher or over social media as well? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, basically
3: on my, on my website, all the information's there, kind of keep a blog on there and uh, you know, recent photos of how the kids, are do, the students are doing and, uh, so it's ericmeeksgolf.com is where you'd go for that. But um, that's where the, the latest information is.
0: Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Always learn a lot about you know your career and the, and the things that you've done, plus about the game when uh, we get the honor of having you on the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon.
3: Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Great being here and a great show.
0: Uh, thank you, Eric. Take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Okay. Sure. Okay. Bye. That's Eric Meeks. And again, ericmeeksgolf.com is his site. And uh, you can follow him on the Twitter at Eric Meeks Golf as well. All right, folks. It is time for us to start to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. But you know what? We like to close up shop every week by reminding you about the great things going on at the Salute Military Golf Association and the work that Jim Estes and his team are doing.
1: The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country.
0: Yes, indeed, folks. You know, Jim and his team are doing amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go online to smga.org. All right, folks, it's time for us to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Donnie Hammond. Olin Brown and Eric Meeks for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page Next on the T with Chris Mascaro on Facebook. Share your feedback with me there. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future guests, and you can see who our future guests are going to be by going online to our website, net. But if you've got a question for one of those future guests or someone who's already been on the show, please let me know. We'll be glad to get that question over to him and get it answered for you. Let's also check out our show on the football side, our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazare and our announcer, Joe LaGianusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time right here on blog talk radio and that show like this one also available as a free podcast over on iHeartRadio and on Podbean. And we can't thank our friends over on Podbean enough for featuring our show. Are they featuring this show next on the tee over on the, in their golf category, they're featuring our, our, our football show Thursday night tailgate over in their football fan section, uh, fan section. Can't thank those folks enough. Podbean. Fantastic. If you haven't checked it out, they've got so many great podcasts across all genres. Download the Podbean app, and you can take us with you everywhere you go. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories about their playing days, plus give us their insights into what's going on around the NFL now. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com, and again, this show, NextOnTheT.net. Folks, thank you for choosing tonight to listen to this show. We know you got a million podcasts and other radio shows to listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
1: You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.